Well, good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Allen Community Church, and I want to welcome you this morning, those who are here uh, with us and those who are joining us online. We are so glad to be able to worship together today. Let's pray as we uh, continue worship this morning in God's Word. Father, thank you for your Word, and we pray now, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would not hear just with our physical ears, but Lord, that we would hear with our hearts because your Holy Spirit allows your living word to penetrate to the depth of our soul. Lord, lead us to yourself. Help us to know more of you today, Lord. Life is knowing you. True life is found in knowing you, Lord. And I pray for every person here, Lord, that you would lead us into greater experience of life by leading us to greater experience of you. Thank you for your son, our Savior Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the finished work of salvation that is given as a gift to all who believe and receive. Thank you, Lord, for your grace upon grace. And Lord, we at this moment put our hope in you. Speak, Lord. We're listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I hope they're already open to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our series in Hebrews, and let's just get real for a second, all right? Um, I probably don't have to talk a whole lot about this for us all to know that it's real, um, but let's get real. Life is hard. <laughs> That's the reality. Life is, is hard sometimes, and this year of all years, I think we probably have known that um, more keenly than probably at any other point in our lifetimes. Um, we are aware this year, through the circumstances that we have faced together, life is challenging, right? Challenges are real. Um, as we go through life, it's, it's not all easy. Um, the older I get, the more I recognize, wow, like, life is no joke, man. <laughs> like, the more I, I live through, the more I realize um, just how complex and how challenging really life can be. And it's not just life in general, but it's also life with Jesus. And I think sometimes uh, there can be false notions of the reality that once you trust Jesus, everything just goes perfectly in life from that point forward. But I think all of us who are, have walked with the Lord for a long time know that even in a relationship with the Lord, um, life is, can still be hard. Like we go through situations and seasons that are just really, really tough. Um, and the reality is there are some days that can feel like really dark. Anybody... Anybody with me here? Anybody at home or here in the room willing to admit that? That there are some days that just feel dark. Some seasons that just feel overwhelming. Some situations that we go through where we just feel crushed. We don't have to look far to know that this is true, not just for all of us as humans, but even for those of us who believe in Christ. Even the end of Hebrews chapter 11 that we looked at last week, at the very end of that passage, do you remember what it said? In verse 37 and 38, it describes some who were stoned 
These are people who were in faith. Remember the hall of faith? They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword. And they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, yet of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. The reality is these are people of faith who as they trusted God, as they put one foot in front of the other to respond to God and to follow him, they still experienced desert places in life, wilderness seasons in life, seasons and situations that felt overwhelmingly frustrating and difficult. They were pressed to the point of feeling like they were almost broken. And yet they persevered in faith. The question that we're going to be wrestling with this morning um, is how is it that as we live our life by faith that, that we can endure? <laughs> in any and every situation, in any and every season that we find ourselves in, how is it that in the practical day-to-day of life that often feels overwhelmingly difficult and some days feel overwhelmingly dark, how is it that in these situations and seasons we can endure. I know for, for myself this year, and probably you have your own story, this year has brought stress and strain on us uh, unlike ever before. And I could name no less than 10 uh, things that have happened to me this year, personally and pastorally, that have just felt like I, I have never experienced this before. This is one of the hardest seasons I've ever been through. And whether it's this season for you or whether it's another season in the past or perhaps one that is to come, I want you to know this morning, and more importantly, what I want to do is help you know that God wants you to know this morning how to endure by faith. So this morning, we're going to be talking about this topic, better life endurance, all right? Um, We've been talking about in the book of Hebrews how Hebrews is all about Jesus, right? Jesus is better is the theme of our series, and uh, really it's the theme of the message of the book of Hebrews. The writer says, Jesus is better. You compare him and contrast to him to any other thing, and you will find him better in every way. And he's perfect. There's nothing lacking in Jesus. And the reality is, the, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know this using the word better 13 times, using the word perfect 14 times, and over and over, uh, he describes how Jesus is unchanging. If you're looking for stability and hope in your life, something beyond the present, something that is permanent, that is eternal, that is real, substantive, that you can attach yourself to and, and have security, look to Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But not only does he bring security, because he's better, he brings great satisfaction. And so the writer of Hebrews has been pointing our attention to Jesus. Well, there's three main sections to the book. We've been talking about the person of Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus. But in this current section here in Hebrews chapter 12, we are actually looking at the life that Jesus calls us to live as we trust in him. And so the passage for today is all about Um, this life that he calls us to live, and the life of endurance. If you have your Bibles, what I want you to do is 
Look real quick. I know the reading today started where we left off last week at verse 3, but I want to, before we um, kind of dive into verse 3, I, I want us to look back at, at verse 1 and 2, because the imagery that the writer of Hebrews gives us is really important. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us, what does it say here? Let us, what? Run, right? Let us run with what? With endurance, okay? So I'm going to read that again. I'm going to look for more participation this time. I know it's cold. I know it's early. We're going to try it again. So let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us what? Run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the same, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What I want to point your attention to is that phrase that I had you repeat with excitement this time, let us run with endurance. Because the writer of Hebrews is using this athletic phrase. And the picture here is, I love the Bible because it's so practical. Uh, I'm such a great athlete that I just connect to all this athletic imagery. I'm just kidding. I'm not a great athlete. Um, But it does help us practically connect. The picture that he gives us here is the picture of a race. And it's obvious to me that this particular race that the writer of Hebrews has in his mind is not a sprint. We have two types of races. You have sprints and you have marathons. Here in Memphis, we love marathons, right? Mainly because we love St. Jude. And everybody thinks about the St. Jude Marathon, which, by the way, is coming up this week. Uh, We're all excited about it. But it's obvious that the writer has in mind a marathon because he says, let us run with endurance, the race that is marked out for us. So the picture is, as you come into relationship with Christ, you're being called into a life with him, and that life with him could be compared to like a marathon. It's not this short burst of energy, but you think about marathon. A marathon is a long race. It has a, a, a goal that is, 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 is big, and a marathon is marked by really um, fatigue and at times pain that you have to really you have to train for and, and work for to really learn how to endure so that you can finish in the end, right? What he's saying here is this is the life that God has called us to. It's not a short burst of like religious effort or energy. It's a commitment to Jesus and your goal being the, like Philippians talks about, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that prize of, of eternity with him, but practically day to day, it looks like kind of like you're running a marathon. It looks like the race that's marked out for you is, is one that, that at times you, you might experience fatigue, at times you might experience pain, and yet the call is to endure, which means to, the literal word in Greek is to bear up under the load, to continue forward in relationship with Christ. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the reason I titled today's message Better Life Endurance 
is because this is the very thing that we're called into here in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, to run a race, to live a life with Jesus that is marked by a key characteristic, and that characteristic is a characteristic of endurance, continuing to persevere in faith despite the moment-to-moment difficulties, the moment-to-moment stresses, the moment-to-moment strains, continuing to persevere in faith in Jesus. Well, I want to go and give you our main point this morning because the, the question is, I guess the main point reflects the reality of what Jesus is able to do, but then the question will be, how is it that we can live with perseverance, with this kind of endurance? So our main point, our core truth this morning is this, and I hope everyone will write it down. As you trust Jesus through every situation in life, he will strengthen and sustain you to endure until the end. As you trust Jesus through every situation in life, he will strengthen and sustain you to endure until the end. Hopefully everybody's had a chance to write this down. What I'd like to do now is kind of work our way through the passage. The big call on our life is that we need to persevere in faith. There are going to be some seasons just like if you were running a marathon. If you've ever run a marathon, you know it. I don't know it because I've never run a marathon, but I've read a lot about it. If you ever run a marathon, you know that you hit points in which you go, I just don't know if I can continue. I don't know if I can push through. I don't know if I can overcome what I'm feeling at this moment. I just don't know. And yet the call upon us in these moments is to persevere, is to continue in faith. So the big picture here is God calls us as his people, as his children, to be people who believe and believe and believe and continue to believe, who have such a strong desire to be with him in the end that we persevere through all. But we persevere as we trust in in him, as we put our trust in him. That's how we persevere. And as we do that, we will find that he is faithful. Now, the big question that we're going to be asking this morning is how do we do that? And the passage that we're looking at in Hebrews 12 today gives us four ways that we can endure, all right? Four ways that we can endure until the end as we trust in Jesus. Number one, the first way we can endure, the path of endurance, is number one, keeping our focus on our suffering Savior. Keeping our focus on our suffering Savior. If you look back at verses 1 to 3, what I love here is in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. All right? Now, sometimes when I was younger, I used to think, um, I, literally, it was almost like Moses and everybody, uh, we've got a stairwell in our home and there's a banister at the top of it that can, you can kind of look down into the to the downstairs. And I was, growing up, I used to think, you know, I've got all of these people that were listed in Hebrews 11 constantly looking over the banister, looking down at me like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? 
Y'all ever thought that? You know, such a great cloud of witnesses. But the reality is that's not really the picture that's given to us. He, he's saying, basically, we, since we have, in Hebrews chapter 11, what we talked about last week, such a long line of people who can bear witness to us that God can see you through. <laughs> since we have such, a, such an amazing opportunity to study the lives of those who have trusted God before us, and as we look at their lives, their lives bear witness He is faithful. He is faithful through it all, through any and every situation, through any and every season. He is faithful. He will see you through. Since then, we have, we're being surrounded by such an amazing company of people who have such a testimony that in the race marked out before them, he was faithful. He saw them through. Because of that, the writer says, Oh, we ought to be able, we ought to be able to run. If you're having issues with your family, you know, look at Joseph. If you're having issues with a job, you know, look to Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate, look to David. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of people, of testimonies, who who can all say, God will see you through, we then should run run this, this race, live this life of perseverant faith. But it's more than that. So much more than just looking at those who have gone before us who have trusted God. He says there in verse 2, probably the most important, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, How is it that we can run the race of endurance? How is it that we can persevere in faith through any and every situation and any and every season? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. This this phrase right here, looking to Jesus, is a, a, a continuous action. So what he's saying is, as you, live, as you live life, as you trust God, through any and every season, you have to continuously choose to put the attention of your mind and your heart and your life upon Jesus. You have to continuously put the attention of your hope upon Jesus. You have to choose again and again and again in each moment of every day in any situation that you're in to point your heart's attention toward Jesus and your heart's affection toward Jesus. Constantly focusing on Him. And he says here, in looking to Jesus, really the, the phrase implies trusting. Um, you can think back in the Old Testament to Uh, the time when they were in the wilderness and they needed healing and God instructed them to to craft an image and to hold it up on a stick and by looking to the image, they were to believe that God could heal. It wasn't just physically looking like glancing. It was actually looking and in their heart trusting as they looked. 
Jesus uses that same imagery in John chapter 3 to talk about what it looks like to, to be saved. As he's conversing with Nicodemus, he says, just as that happened in the wilderness, so too now the Son of Man must be lifted up so that people would look to him and be saved. It's not just a physical looking, it's in your heart looking and believing, trusting, deeply trusting. And the phrase here, looking to Jesus, it means that as you go through life and you experience difficulties, whether it's relational hardships, whether it's losing people that we love, whether it is uh, financial, whether it is emotional, uh, whether it is trauma, abuse, I mean, you name it, whatever it is that we go through, we have to remember the encouragement of this verse that says, in all of life, as we live by faith, we have to constantly take our eyes, the eyes of our heart, not just physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart, and put them on Jesus. And not just look at Him, but gaze upon Him to the point that we, we trust Him, that we look to Him, and what happens deep in our heart is this deep, this deep, deep trust upon who He is, what He's promised, how He loves and he says here, looking to Jesus, and he describes Jesus as the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I love these two words because it says here, uh, with this word founder, it's basically like the originator, right? He's the pioneer of our faith. But he's not only the pioneer of our faith, but he's the perfecter of our faith. And by perfecter, what we mean is not only does he begin the work, but he sees it through to completion. It's so cool. He's the one that finishes the work. It reminds me of Philippians 1. He says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete the work in you. And what he says is, in the midst of the trials of life, look to Jesus who began a good work in you and who will finish a good work in you. And that's why the core truth today says, look to Jesus because he can strengthen you and he can sustain you until the end. Look to him. Ultimately, friends, it is not about what we can do to persevere. It's about what Jesus can do in us to cause us to persevere. Look to Jesus. He began this thing, and He can finish this thing. Trust Him. Put the gaze of your heart upon Him. And then He goes on, and He says, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only is Jesus an amazing Savior who founds and perfects our faith, but he's also an amazing example. Because Jesus himself, when he was on earth, lived by faith. And if you think about the things that Jesus endured that are here in these verses, there is no one, not, there is none of us who have endured what Jesus endured in his life, in his sufferings, and in his death. Of all people who have ever lived, Jesus in, has endured the most struggle, shame, opposition, persecution, suffering in every way, rejection of the Father, taking on the sins of the world. And yet, 
as he, as he did that, he was found faithful. He endured. He continued to entrust himself to God. And you ask the question, what enabled him to do this? What enabled Jesus to go through so much and still choose to do it, still choose to believe? And the answer is, for the joy that was set before him. It was his faith, his fixation upon the Father. He knew God to be faithful. He knew His promise to be sure. He knew the outcome of His faith would be the salvation of souls and His exaltation to the right hand of God. He didn't love the sufferings that He went through, but He continued to trust God in the midst of them all. And He knew that he who promised was was faithful. The writer of Hebrews in verse 3 says to us, and this is where really this, this, this first point on the pathway of endurance comes from. He says to us, consider him. Will you all say that phrase with me? Consider him. This phrase literally means to weigh or to compare. In other words, he's saying, I want you, when you are growing weary, to to put your focus upon Jesus, your Savior, your suffering Savior, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, he's saying, you've gotten to the point in a marathon where, where like you've hit a wall, right? And you need a second wind. And the question is, how are you going to get it? And he says, the way you get it is by looking to Jesus, considering him. Look at who he is. Look at what he's able to do. He's the founder and perfecter of faith. He can strengthen you and he can sustain you. And look to the example that he's given us. Look at his suffering and his death for us. And look at the outcome of his own entrusting himself to his his father. Uh, It was the exaltation of himself. He was resurrected from the grave, and he lives. And he is faithful. Look to him. Consider him. Keep your heart's attention and affection upon him. That's the first key when it comes to the path of endurance. Keep our focus on our suffering Savior. What we can do is just ask us, a simple question if we turn it into a prayer. We can just ask God to strengthen our faith. You know, uh, one of the things that I uh, noticed this year as I was going through some of what I went through um, is it is really hard in the midst of suffering to feel like sometimes you have your bearings when days are really dark, when things feel really overwhelming, we need something that will ground us, that will be a foundation for us. And it takes, in the midst of all that, I was watching uh, Frozen 2 this weekend. Please don't judge me. 
right? Please don't judge me. Um, I have a daughter. She's six years old. We let her watch Frozen. We can have that conversation later if that's a conversation you want to have. But for right now, just let me use the illustration without judgment. Thank you. There's a song when Anna is in the in a really hard place and she's kind of finds herself alone in the midst of this cave and she's got to figure out what to do on her own. She sings a song about, I'm not even going to try to sing it, I almost, I had a moment where I was thinking about singing it for you guys. I said no in myself. Uh, but she, she sings a song about needing to do the next right thing. She feels overwhelmed. She doesn't know exactly what to do, but in the moment, all she can do is the next right thing. And there are some seasons where it literally feels like I, I don't even know what to do. Things feel so overwhelming. What is the next right thing? And I'll tell you, it is always the next right thing as a believer in Christ to take the attention of your mind and your heart, the affection of your soul, and put it upon Jesus. It is always the next right thing. I'm not trying to minimize other things that we have to do, but we don't do other things first. That is the, always the first thing that we do. And one of the things I realized, even as your pastor, I'm trying to be honest here, but in the midst of, of, of overwhelming difficulties in life, sometimes we get so caught up in all the other things that we forget the most important thing. And that is just to keep our heart at the gaze of our heart toward Christ. And I will tell you, in each and every circumstance that I have ever been through, I have always found, as I put my attention toward Christ, that he strengthens me and he sustains me. I have always found it to be true. It is not just words that I'm just putting up here for you to write down. It is a testimony of my own life. He is faithful. And in each situation that I've ever been through, he also relates to me. It is amazing that as I go through different things, I continue to put my heart toward Jesus. When I do that, I find such encouragement, not only that he is with me, that he loves me, and that's enough, but also that he understands me and he relates to me. He's been through what I'm going through to an even greater degree, and I know we talked about this before in Hebrews, but the encouragement is as we live this life of faith, we have to continually choose to put our heart's attention and affection toward Christ. And the prayer that we should pray is, God, would you strengthen my faith? God, would you strengthen my faith? Would you help me to keep my focus toward you? Number two, in the path of endurance, the writer tells us, number one, to, to keep our focus on our suffering Savior, but number two, to rest in God's fatherly love to rest in God's fatherly love. If you look back at your Bibles, after he says there in verse 3, consider him, <laughs> consider him so you don't grow weary. In verse 4, he continues and he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I think there's more. There it is. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. 
In verse 7, he says, it is, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and, and not sons. Well, in the second point here, go back to it. Point two is in the midst of the, the situations and seasons that we find ourselves in that feel overwhelmingly difficult, we have to learn to rest in God's fatherly love. We have to learn to rest in God's fatherly love. Um, in the midst of difficulties, I think probably a common question that all of us face is, where is God? You ever ask that question? <laughs> Maybe even it's just a whisper that you've never even been willing to say out loud, but in the midst of some situations that we face in life, sometimes there is a temptation to go, I just don't understand. Like, where is God in the midst of this? We might ask why it is that we're suffering. And it could be easy in the middle of it to think somehow that God does not love us it could be easy to feel self-pity, or it could be easy to end up kind of in a spirit of resignation, or even to get to a point of resentment. It could be easy. And yet, in this passage, what the writer of Hebrews helps us to see is he goes, look, in your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding of blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Six different times in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, six different times he uses the word son, children, sons, right? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He disciplines the one who he loves, chastises every son that he receives. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there his father doesn't discipline? Children, sons. In verse 8, over and over and over again, he's using this language of a family, and what he's saying here is, look, don't you understand that the very difficulties that you're going through, that God's allowing you to go through, are a witness in and of themselves that God loves you, that he is your father and you are his child. He's describing these hardships as a kind of education, as a kind of instruction for us. The whole idea is, as we're going through these difficult situations in life, God is actually working in the midst of these difficult seasons to grow us, to teach us more about Himself and more about what it looks like to really depend wholly upon Him. We don't need to be pampered. <laughs> we need to be, we need to grow up. We need to mature. I, uh, this this past season, you know, we've got two girls, Caroline Jane and Emma Grace. Michelle tells me, just call them Caroline and Emma. I always use their middle names. Not quite sure why. But the reality is with both of our girls, it has been a quite amazing journey to be their dad. And if you've ever had the opportunity to help raise children, whether they're your own or someone else's, um, you know what a great joy it is. 
But there are times as a dad that I have to allow my girls to go through some really difficult things. Um, goodness gracious, I, I think about Caroline even as a, a, a little girl, and some of the, it, one of the worst things ever is to say no to your kid, right? But if you don't say no to your kid, you end up raising spoiled brats. You know what I'm saying? Um, you just do. A child that is not disciplined is a self-centered jerk and a spoiled brat, honestly. Might be cute for a little bit when he grows up, not so much. There are times, though, that as a dad, I have to allow my girls to go through some hard stuff. Um, Just this past year, Caroline has been learning to ride a bike. And it's the cutest thing ever, especially because her bike is all purple and teal and all that kind of girly stuff. But what's not the cutest thing ever is when you try to teach your kid to ride the bike and you go, just trust me, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, and you send them off, and then 30 seconds later, right, face plant to the dirt. Why, Dad, did you let me do this? You know, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my goodness. It's all my fault that she has fallen and gotten scraped up, and suddenly you're just like, oh, man. And you know as a parent that the only way for her to learn to ride that bike is to experience some of the frustrations, right, of falling. She went recently to a, a, a little friend in her class, had a little uh, birthday party, and uh, we were able to take her over there, and it's the first time we had, like, really dropped her off at a party without us kind of staying around. That was hard enough on us, first of all. But it also is hard on her. But the reality is if she doesn't um, learn to do that, then it actually is, is bad parenting on us uh, not to encourage her toward growth and maturity in the areas that she needs. Sometimes, though, as a kid, that doesn't feel too good. Sometimes as a kid, the no or the falling off or the getting dropped off doesn't feel quite loving. We might go, why, Dad? What are you doing? And yet, in the heart of a father is love, pure love for their child. And sometimes that love leads you to the point that you allow your child to go through some of that difficulty for the opportunity to grow. Sometimes that love leads you to say no. Um, The other day, Caroline was in the attic. I was getting out some Christmas stuff, and she gets close to, we have stairs that, um, we have an attic over our garage. You can access it through the house on the second floor. You can, there's also stairs that drop down into the garage. And if you're not careful, you could just walk upon those, onto those stairs and just drop right through the garage. And I, she got close to the stairs and I said, no, you know, um, come back. And the tone of my voice and the rebuke and the no is, that's hard. But it is my love, it is my love that that moves toward my daughter in that way. And what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is, 
what you've got to connect is some of these difficulties that God is allowing you to go through, you've got to see them as part of his fatherly love for you and his working in your life. Do you forget that this is not because you are his loved children? In verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as what? As his children, as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? In other words, if he doesn't allow you to go through this, then he doesn't want you to grow. If he never says no, if you never are chastised, if you're never disciplined, if I don't yell out no when she gets close to the stairs, that means I care nothing about her or her life. It is for this reason that God sometimes allows us to go through this, or that the answer is no. He loves us just this much. If he didn't love us, then he wouldn't allow for us to go through these things. Verse 8, if you're left without discipline in which you participated, then you're illegitimate children, and you are not sons. In other words, what he says is you can trust, you can absolutely trust right now in your life that whatever experience that you are going through, it is from a good heart of your Father. It is from a heart of love and concern of your Father. Whatever it is that we go through, we can know that He is a good dad, that He loves us, He's for us and not against us. We know that by looking to Christ, but we also know that through the difficulties of life that He is presently working for our good. His discipline is evidence of His love. The question we ask in this point is, God, would you help me to grow? You know, it starts with a trust in his good heart. I've said before, even when we don't understand his ways, we can always trust his heart. So it does start with a trust, but also in that trust is an opportunity to say, God, would you help me to grow? Would you help me in this moment to not only trust you, but to lean into you to the point that you're working to to produce good? through what I'm going through. The third thing on the path of endurance that we see here in Hebrews chapter 12 is to surrender to God's purifying work. To surrender to God's purifying work. In verse 9 through 17, we read, Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. In the path of endurance, in the second point, what we saw was resting in God's fatherly love. In other words, in all of the situations that we're going through, what we can know is that God is for us, not against us. He loves us, and He is working in all things for our good. That's His role. But there's also a role that we have to play in the midst of difficulties and discipline. And that role that we play is we've got to be willing to surrender to God's purifying work. We have to be willing to surrender to God's purifying at work. In other words, when you're a kid, everybody knows this. Everybody knows that when you're a kid and your parents try to discipline you, you can either do one of two things. You can resist them. How many of you as a kid ever tried to resist your parents when they try to discipline you? Yes. That usually doesn't go so well. I remember one time my mom tried to give me a spanking, and at my house growing up, we got spankings. And they weren't verbal, although they could have been, I guess. But you also got a little physical spanking. But one time, I got in trouble, and my mom told me to go in my room, and she was going to give me a spanking. Well, she did. And after she did, I turned around and said, <laughs> that felt great. I mean, I just mocked her. She said, hold on just a second, went over to my phone, picked it up, called my dad to come home from work. He was in the middle of a meeting. She said, I don't care what meeting you're in and how important it is, you're to come home right now for your son. And immediately I thought, oh, junk. It's going to be bad. And it was. The reality is, though, we have a choice in the midst of discipline. Do we try to run from it? Do we try to resist it? Or, in the moment, do we embrace it? Not that we enjoy it ever, but do we see the opportunity to listen and to learn, to respond with openness to what we're trying to be taught? There's a choice to be made. And the writer of Hebrews, here in this section, verses 9 through 17, says we ought to make the right choice as it relates to going through difficulties and moments of discipline with God. In verse 9, he says, look, if you had a, a father, like if for me, when my mom picked up the phone and she's like, you get home right now, your son, and then, oh goodness. And if that made me go, ooh, boy, probably shouldn't have done that. I better get ready. If I respected my earthly father to the point of obedience, what he says here in verse 9 is how much more should we respect and submit ourselves, subject ourselves to God, the eternal, all-powerful father of spirits, so that we might live? How much more seriously should we take it when God is trying to get our attention? How much more should we yield our hearts and our lives to Him so that 
that he might teach us and train us and work for our good. In verse 10, he says, For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, talking about God, disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we can share in his holiness. Again, the whole point of it's a change of perspective. You know, even with 2020 this year, with some of the things that we have gone through, and I'm just using this as a, a personal example from this year, it's a change of perspective. Some of the difficulties that we face, I really truly believe because of what God says in His Word here and in other places, that God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get our attention. And the question is, do we just go, oh, 2020 so over and ready for 2021, and we roll our eyes and we just sit around and wait for it to be over? Or do we take the opportunity in the midst of the difficulties that we're in or the, the moments of discipline that we're facing, and we go, God, would you teach me something about life with you now that I haven't learned before? Would, it's a change of perspective, saying yes to the opportunity to learn more of God. And that's exactly the encouragement here. He says, look, if you submit yourself to God, don't you see that He is working so that you might share in His holiness? Could it be that in this year we had put too much stock in the control that we felt, too much uh, security in our own health and well-being, or too much uh, just delight in, in some of the entertainment and conveniences that we have here in the Western society? Could it be that God is stripping all of that away, that the season of difficulty might actually have been meant the whole time to get us to a point of contentment with God and God alone? Could it be? Could it be that the weirdness of this holiday season might be to get our attention toward the simplicity of what the holidays are really all about in God and His good gifts to us in Christ? Could it be that in the difficulties that we go through, in the discipline that we're facing, yes, it could be He is working so that we might share in His holiness. And in verse 11 he says, For in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I get a witness to that? Yeah. The, the reality is, it doesn't feel good. And yet, I think if you look back at moments of discipline in your own life, what you see here is the truth of verse 11. It says, in the moment it didn't feel good, but later what you can notice is it does yield peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. And if you realize this, looking back, then in the present moment of difficulty, what you ought to do is realize that the best choice to be made is surrendering to God's purifying work. Surrendering. He says then in verse 12, therefore, in other words, your job, <laughs> your job here, see to it that you lift your drooping hands, you strengthen your weak knees, you make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame is not put out of joint, but rather healed. In other words, you got to get your second wind here. You hit a wall, you got to get your second wind, and you got to see to it. One way to endure is to learn to not resist the circumstances that you're going through, but to entrust yourself to God and to release 
It's not that you're releasing yourself to your circumstances, but in the midst of your circumstances, you're releasing yourself to God. You only have so much energy to spend, and I'm afraid that a lot of us spend a lot of our energy resisting circumstance rather than releasing to God. If we're going to exert energy doing anything, we've got to learn to exert it releasing ourselves to God in the midst of crazy circumstance so that God can work for healing. Strive for peace with everyone for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord and see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Many will become defiled. No one sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And he gives this example of Esau. And I think it's very interesting because what he says is if you think about Esau, he's a friendly guy, a good hunter, loved his dad, probably a good neighbor, but the reality was he, he was not interested in the things of God. He shortchanged, he sold his opportunity with God for something so stupid, a, a hot meal, so temporary. And what he says is, in the moment of choice, Esau made the wrong choice. And because he made the wrong choice, he forfeited some of the blessing and the grace of God. And he gives this example to us to encourage us in these moments of choice, in the moments of difficulty. Don't choose. Don't choose what is temporal. Don't choose what just for the moment brings satisfaction. Exert your energy in the right direction. Choose God. In the moment, choose God because God gives grace. God gives blessing. At the end of the day, what you need is God. So don't resist. Release yourself to Him. So in this point three on the path of endurance, we see a need to surrender to God's purifying work. And the prayer we can pray is, God, would you purify my heart? You know, I don't know what circumstances you're going through, what situations you face. But what I do know We've talked about it before. You need to keep your attention toward Jesus. You need to know that God is a good God through it all. And third, you need to make a choice to trust Him and surrender to Him. You do. You need to say, God, I don't want to resist you. I want to release myself to you. And God, in this moment, I want you to bring a new perspective. I want you to remind me that you are at work purifying me. You're at work bringing a peaceful fruit of righteousness. You're at work producing a holiness, making me more like you as I learn to be more dependent upon you. And God, that is good. Help me, Lord, not be like Esau. Help me, Lord, to keep my heart surrendered to you. Well, last but not least, on the path of endurance, the last step is to anticipate God's promised future. We keep our focus on our suffering Savior. We rest in God's fatherly love. We surrender to God's purifying work. And last, we anticipate God's promised future. At the end of the passage, in verse 18 through 29, we see this amazing picture of what is to come. And really, in the passage, you have a comparison between uh, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, all right? 
So he's giving us these two pictures. And what happens is he's, he's basically helping us remember about Sinai. If we look back to the place where God gave the law, right, in Sinai. And in verse 18, you can kind of follow along in your Bible, but he, he begins to describe what that was. A mountain that could not be touched. If they did, they would die, right? Burning with fire, darkness, gloom, storms, a trumpet blast, voice speaking words. In other words, this picture of this, this, this fearful place marked by terror, designed to kind of instill reverence in you in all holiness, but altogether this place seemed totally unapproachable, completely separate. And yet, he goes, you see this place in Sinai, verses 18 through 21, but, look at verse 22, but you have not come to Sinai. You have come to where? Mount Zion. And then he goes on to describe what Zion is like, the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, that place of the city of great joy. Thousands upon thousands and innumerable assembly all around God, and they're joyful. The church of the firstborn, names that are written in heaven. God is there. Jesus is there. The spirits of the righteous are being are made perfect there. Jesus is there, verse 24, the mediator of a new covenant. And the sprinkled blood is there. And I love this. He says the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood went to the ground, came from the ground, and it cried judgment. Jesus's blood comes from heaven, and it cries mercy. The effect of Abel's blood was that it condemned Cain to guilt, and it separated Cain from the presence of God. But the effect of Christ's blood is it forgives all guilt and sin, and it brings us into the presence of God. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. A word of mercy, a word of salvation, a word of forgiveness for all who believe. So what he says is, he says, I want you to think about the future. I want you to realize that the end goal of this marathon, this life that you're running, you know, all these people who have come before have trusted God and they have, they have testified. He can see you through. But I want you to Think about the end of the marathon here at Memphis at the St. Jude Marathon. There's a big party. Usually it's at AutoZone Park. I heard it's a lot of fun. They give you a lot of prizes. You get medals. There's music, DJs. You can carbo load. You can drink Powerade or whatever it is that you, you know, drink after a marathon. Again, I don't know. I'm here at the donut station. <laughs> uh, yikes. But nevertheless, thinking about the finish line, and thinking about that place, that destination, often is enough to see you through. What God gives us here in Hebrews is He says, I want you in the midst of the difficulties of life to think about the destination. 
I want you to think about the end result of your faith, and that is getting to be in the most joy-filled place ever, the place where God Himself dwells. Thousands upon thousands are singing praise to Him right now, and His blood speaks a better word. Jesus is there. His forgiveness, His salvation reign, His mercy triumphs. In the end, oh, it will be worth it. Do not give up. Don't grow faint. Continue in hope because one day you will get to be with your God and He will be with you forever. Your faith will be made sight. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. This year, I kid you not, I told you I'm learning a lot as I grow, as I get older. I've never thought more about heaven than I have this year. I don't say that lightly. I've ministered to people who have been in a lot of hard situations, and I know in the midst of difficulties often our hope for heaven is purified. I know that one of the things that God wants us to do is hope for heaven. It is a constant call on our life as believers we are to be people who eagerly anticipate the opportunity to be with God. One of the things I've felt convicted about this year is that in my life, I don't know that I've actually really thought about heaven a ton. I don't know that on a daily basis I really hope for heaven. And honestly, I think if we're honest with one another, I think one of the reasons we don't hope for heaven enough is because we're pretty content here on earth. I think it is very indicative, probably, of our comfort here that we don't hope for there. And it is a good gift of God to put us in seasons and situations where our hope for heaven is purified, where we learn to more eagerly anticipate the day that we'll hear his voice say, behold, I've made all things new. And as I've sat this year with tears in my eyes, with deep yearnings in my heart, praying, with darkness in times that felt just surrounding, I have thought, oh God, I can't wait for one day all of this to be made new. I can't wait for one day to be with you and all be, all be right. Our hope for heaven is purified in the midst of struggle. And one of the things that you can do in the path of endurance, in the midst of your struggles and sufferings, is to learn to anticipate God's promised future. In other words, to think deeply about the promise that God has made, to remember that this world is not everything, that there is something new coming, and that ultimately He is there and you will be with Him forever. And that is good. Amen? So, we anticipate God's promised future. And he says there at the end of Hebrews 12, and I close with this, he says, you need to be careful that you don't refuse him, verse 25, who is speaking. Do not refuse him who is speaking, because others have refused him, and they were judged. They did not get to inherit. <laughs> they did not escape the wrath of God. See, God is going to bring a shaking, he says, 
He's going to bring a shaking. And only the eternal things, the things of Him will remain. So make sure that your hope is anchored in what will remain. Don't put your hope in something that is transient. Put your hope in what is eternal. And let us be grateful, verse 28, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship, reverence, and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, let us be so thankful that we have a hope that will endure through it all. Our faith will be made sight, and let us live our life focused on what is to come with reverence and worship and all to God, for He who promised is faithful. As I close today, I just want to encourage you, you know, with this last point, ask God to build your hope. Ask God to build your hope. We've talked a lot today about this life that we live, which often feels so much like a marathon. We talked about the situations and the seasons that we find ourselves in. That some, I mean, life is hard. <laughs> Circumstances are difficult. Some days feel dark. And the question is, how is it, how is it that we can endure? How is it that we persevere in faith? And this morning we've talked through Hebrews 12 and we've looked at these four very practical things. Fixing your eyes upon our suffering Savior. Learning to rest in the Father's heart of love for you. Learning to embrace, not resist, but to embrace God's purifying work in our hearts and lives. And last, anticipating, anticipating the hope of heaven. And I wonder for you today, how is it that in this present moment that God might be stirring you to, to want to, to grow? How is it right now that God might be putting on your heart a desire to be more surrendered to Him in one or maybe more, maybe all of these ways? Don't resist Him today. Say yes to how He's leading. Father, I do pray for every person today, Lord, and I pray, God, that You would allow us to experience You. Jesus, You said this world has trouble, but to take heart, for You have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that in the difficulties of this present moment, Lord, I believe every person here today, every one of us, Lord, right now is going through something that just feels hard. And I prayed, Lord, that in this present moment that we could put our attention upon you, that we could trust your heart, that we could release ourselves to your work, And that, Lord, that we could learn a greater hope of what is to come. I pray this, Lord, for the good of those who you love and for the glory of your name. Thank you, God, that you love us. Even right now, Lord, you love us. You love us. You love us. You're more than enough for us. Lord, if there's anyone here that is far from you, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw them in today, that they would repent of sin and put their trust in you, that they would know that what you have done and your son Jesus is more than enough for salvation, for life. You can cause us to be strengthened and sustained until the end. Lord, we put our trust in you. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.